Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one the only tyler henry oh hello david thank you for having me i'm so excited to be here it's our first time ever being interviewed by you so i'm excited to jump in <laughs> i am excited you are here also like what is up with i mean listen you're in the middle of your live tour you know an evening of hope and healing with tyler henry i know your next gig is not until the end of June. It's in Oklahoma. So are you enjoying this time off? What are you up to today? Oh, you know, it's been a lot of fun. We recently, uh, well, over a year ago now, had the show Life After Death on Netflix premiere, which was an incredible journey. It did show a little bit about uh, the tour that I do and traveling the country, doing group readings, and I've stayed plenty busy with that. And then in the past month, we got nominated for an Emmy for the show. So it's been a lot of fun and just being able to travel across the country and meet a lot of different people. I saw you guys were nominated. Like, how does that feel to be nominated for an Emmy? I mean, that's pretty major. You know, I didn't even know that was a thing. I, I guess I just never really thought about it. And I was like, I, I didn't really know the difference between an Oscar, a Grammy, and an Emmy. So I'm, I'm, I'm novice in my understanding there, but we're getting there. <laughs> well, I have actually had the pleasure of attending. I think I attended your live show twice. I've definitely attended it once. In oh my in New Jersey. So, I mean, tell people like, you know, people that haven't been to your live show, like tell them what they can expect. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were able to make it. If you're around next time, I'd love to hook you up with some tickets. But uh, basically, the show focuses on me just kind of briefly explaining what brings me to the stage and a little bit about my story. And then I focus on the most important things people need to know to get the most out of the readings. And then I focus on the audience. I do readings for people at random. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're seated in the front row or the back row, it's pretty equal opportunity. And we never know what's gonna happen. It's always completely random. And the information that comes in is always just as surprising to me as it is for the people I'm reading. And there is an element of seeing the process live, I think in an unedited way, which does add some value to the process and just being able to witness it. Well, I have to say, you know, I split my time now between New York and L.A., but I am a true and tried New Yorker. So not to stereotype it, I am not an expressive person. I'm not an overly wear my emotions on my sleeve person. But going to your live show, I had tears in my eyes. So people need to bring tissues. Thank you so much. And we provide them, too. We whip them out. We give them to people. <laughs> we we got to wear a waterproof mascara before. <laughs> it's true. I mean, so... 
you know, when people come to you for a live reading, either like on Hollywood Medium or Life After Death or, you know, at one of your live shows, like, is there an overarching theme like that people are kind of coming to you? I mean, is it closure? Is it unanswered questions? Do you find one thing kind of most people want out of every reading? You know, I used to think that it was closure, but as I've gotten a little older and done more readings, I found that people are really just looking for validation, validation of either the bond that continues and that exists between them and someone that they've lost, or validation that they're on the right track, or that they have more answers than maybe they feel they have. So, you know, different people, of course, come for different things, but I think everyone is looking to feel seen, to feel understood. And sometimes having an objective source come in and say, you know what, you're doing better than you think, or here's you know something to think about that might be able to guide you into the next step of your life. I think that that can be very helpful. What about, because we've seen this on both of your shows and at like the live readings where, you know, someone maybe just lost, you know, like recently or semi-recently, like someone very close to them. And then, you know, they want to obviously hear from that person, but, you know, the distant relative's cousin's friend comes through. Absolutely. I have a little bit of a joke where I say, you know, uh, people come maybe hoping to connect with their mom. And then half the time I bring up their mother-in-law and I, as the messenger, as a medium, really have no control over what connections I make as much as I just have to relay what I'm getting. But even if I can't make a connection, as there have been times where I absolutely have not been able to, um, there's still something to be said, I think, about the value that anybody can show up. The fact that anything comes through, I think, substantiates that those we yearn to connect with or hope to hear from, that they are there, even if they're not necessarily delivering a message. How do your readings at your live show different, like differ from the ones you do, like in private or on TV? Is it, you know, like, I mean, I imagine, and is there a lot of inf like I would imagine there's a lot going on, right? Like there's a lot of voices Always. that are going through when you're in this big auditorium. Absolutely. I think in doing it now for a few years, uh, time management is really the main difference. When I'm in an audience setting, I have to be mindful of the amount of time I'm spending with each person um, because the clock is ticking and time is of the essence. And so um, that kind of makes it more of a little bit of a marathon, not a, not a pace. <laughs> and that can definitely kind of change how I allocate energy versus a one-on-one -on -one reading. I tend to be able to just kind of go balls to the wall, focus on, you know, all of everything coming through at once. And I, I kind of deplete myself a little bit more quickly when I do one-on-one -on -one readings. What about people that come to your live show? You know, this whole object, which we've seen on both Life After Death and Hollywood Medium, like do, you know, does that help? Like, should people bring live objects or that doesn't necessarily help? Because listen, people are sitting in the audience, right? And a lot of them want to be chosen. Absolutely. You know, I will say physical objects just act as physical reminders and stuff is just stuff at the end of the day, but it's really what we associate with it that I think often makes the difference. And so I do encourage people to, you know, if they come to a group reading or any medium experience, you know, write little notes to your loved one, conceal them in your pockets, you know, bring something that only you know you have. It gives the medium an opportunity to potentially kind of hone in and connect to things that there's no way they could know and then could really substantiate the experience. But I've had countless times, even in my last live show, um, where a girl was holding on. She had like a bunch of bundles of clothing. She was wearing a lot of clothing. She was holding clothing. And I acknowledged that this, this brother for her um, was bringing up his jacket. And that was indeed the very object she was holding in her hand. Um, so it's things like that that allow for that validation to take place. And it helps to bring an object. What about this happened at the show that I was at of yours where, you know, you stand up, you're like, it's someone, you know, say older, it's a mother figure, you know, and of course, everyone stands up at that point or raises their hands. And I remember, you know, one woman was like, it's me, it's me. And you're like, 
it's not, I just don't feel it. And it ended up being, you know, and she was literally very politely, but arguing back with you of like, this really is me. And you're like, it just isn't. And it turned out to be someone totally different. Like, does that happen a lot? And how do you handle that? Or someone's so certain it's them. And then you're like, it's just not. You know, I've kind of learned to change my philosophy with that with time. I've really seen the value of synchronicity, which is meaningful coincidence. And I tell people, you know, if you are sitting in an auditorium of a thousand people and you're hearing a message and that message relates to you unequivocally and you know that, uh, take that message as if it's your own because something brought you into that seat, into that space at that time to be exposed to that message. So my belief is oftentimes, you know, they kind of will relay messages that they know are going to affect the most amount of people possible. And it really does show how much we have in common often than uh, what we have different, which you really see often in these group settings. And what about, you know, just going staying on the live show for a second, like, you know, is eye contact, does that help? You know, if someone doesn't want a reading, you know, and just because I've seen that happen too in your shows where the person's sitting there and they're like, please don't call on me. I don't want it. I don't want to engage with someone's husband or, you know, yeah. how, how, how does that all work? It can definitely be interesting, you know, when we do these old theaters, uh, particularly in New England, half the time the lighting is so bad, you can't even see the people being read. <laughs> so there's often a lot of instances where I'm reading someone and I can't see the whites of their eyes. They're in the nosebleed seats um, and it works out. So, um, yeah, you know, I find that it generally receptivity does help, but it's not uh, absolutely the most necessary thing. One thing I've noticed is that like in sometimes reading people who perhaps have lower expectations, maybe they're a little skeptical, they sometimes are a little easier to impress than somebody who's expecting me to bat a thousand because they've seen all my great readings and they're like, oh, well then he has to give me, you know, the golden nugget that I saw on Hollywood Medium. So sometimes it actually helps when people maybe aren't sure what to expect. It, it makes it easier to meet that kind of fluid expectation. <laughs> right. Where that person's sitting there and they're like, maybe I don't want it to be me. And then it is them. Exactly. <laughs> what about, you know, I know, I mean, I read somewhere, I think I've saw in an interview, you know, that Sarah Paulson was like kind of your first celebrity that you ever did. I mean, is the irony lost on you that she then, you know, went on and played a medium in American Horror Story? Absolutely. It was so camp, which I could really appreciate. I feel like all mediums by default are a little campy, but that was so special for me. I was, you know, 17 years old and it was over the phone and it was such a surreal moment being a fan of somebody, but to be able to connect to that human level beyond the public figure, which I think really did act as a precursor for what we saw in the over 200 celebrity readings on Hollywood Medium. You know, we had a lot of recognizable faces, but it was really more about what was kind of underneath the face, <laughs> uh, underneath the hood that I think people found the most valuable and, and the most relatable. Is that kind of how, you know, is it like, you know, one celebrity, you know them all? Was it really this great reading with Sarah Paulson and then she told her friend and she told her friend and they were famous and that's kind of how you ended up in that world? It was kind of one of different, many different avenues that I was able to kind of take. Uh, but ultimately, you know, at 19, going on the Kardashians, you know, really did change things as that show tends to do. Um, and, you know, ultimately from there, it just kind of took off and I was able to read a number of different people. But my original goal was to become a hospice nurse. I graduated high school when I was 16 and uh, life just took a very different direction. So did Sarah Paulson reach out to you and get advice? I mean, you know, is there a little bit of Tyler Henry in this performance of hers? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it might have been before because I would love to take credit for that role, but I think she might have uh, filmed that before we got to meet. I can't remember the timeline, but now I, I expect more medium, uh, you know, renditions from her. 
I'll admit it, as important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority, and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water, and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all-in-one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. When Honey Love Shapewear approached me to advertise on this podcast, and I sent it to our bi-weekly co-host, Miss Sarah Frazier, turns out she loves it. Whoever knew Sarah's body and chest and curves would help me sell shapewear. Listen, you know, wedding season is upon us, and I've been hearing from a lot of brides out there, and I mean, I guess, who who's going to a wedding this summer? If you are, you have to check out Honey Love, or if you just want some great shapewear for everyday fit. Sarah's favorite product from Honey Love is their Super Power Short. It has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between the areas that you want more support and areas where you need less compression. And their signature X targets and sculpts your midsection without squeezing your natural curves. Now, the number one thing I've heard from Sarah is that Honey Love has flexible boning that's hidden in the inside seams that keeps it from rolling down. Who knew that was such a problem for you ladies? And I mean, yes, Sarah and I get really, you know, we've gotten to know each other through this podcast. Apparently it has an opening also in the panty area area for super easy bathroom access. No costume change required. Treat yourself to the best shaper on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash velvet. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com slash velvet. Talk to us. I know, you know, a lot of what you're doing now too is like this collective membership, you know, talk to me about how that came about and explain to people like what that entails. Absolutely. So we teamed up with Fireside, which has been a virtual platform that allows me to have a membership-based service where people can tune in, um, kind of think of it as like an actively kind of live podcast slash membership um, opportunity where I'm able to go live with members and do readings and have group events that are interactive in and in, in live um, in a way that hasn't been done before. So it's really been an amazing opportunity to be able to read people all across the world. You know, time zones are oftentimes uh, difficult for people and, you know, having to travel can sometimes logistically present challenges. So to be able to do that from, you know, your bedroom, wearing your pajama pants, you know, people can tune in all across the world and potentially receive and at the very least watch readings. And then what, how does that, like someone, if they join this, they, because listen, there's a 300,000 person wait list for the non-celebrity. You know, I was at the GLAAD Awards this past weekend in New York City. And out of all the things that were auctioned off, I mean, they really waited to the end of the night. The big ticket item was supposed to be like an SNL appearance, or you were going to get to go to SNL. But your private reading, Tyler, which you donated, first of all, thank you for donating that as a member of the LGBTQIA community myself. But your private reading, I think, went for, I forgot how much, but it was, I think, the most of the entire evening. 
well, that that means a lot, especially when it's for such good causes like charity. And even with the collective, a portion of those proceeds goes to one of my favorite charities, Project Angel Food, which helps combat uh, hunger all across uh, Southern California. So. So I think like, you know, the fireside, like this is this collective membership. It's a way to kind of maybe, you know, maybe be chosen for a reading as well. Absolutely. It definitely lends an opportunity to be part of the experience and to see it in an unedited way. You know, there's so much cynicism around television and when it comes to reality TV, I mean, you know, understandably, but I think there's something really beautiful about being able to see things in an unfiltered, unedited way. It really speaks to just the impact that it has in a person's life versus seeing, you know, sound bites and things cut together. <laughs> Right. And I think, you know, I think that's what, because I think a lot of the world met you through Hollywood medium, even though in life after death and everything, you know, when you go to your live show, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize there is a way to get a reading from Tyler Henry. It just might take a while, but now there's other alternative ways. You don't have to be a celebrity. Absolutely. And you know, the funny thing is, is I don't even read celebrities anymore, uh, by and large. So it's it's kind of a funny thing. I allocate all my time to reading folks who really need a connection. And I was really happy to be able through life after death to kind of convey those stories, salt of the earth people from all across the country, rural places. So that's really where there's a need, you know, more than just Hollywood. <laughs> We've seen on both shows you've been on and in your life. So we see the scribbling, we see the pads. Is that like a medium thing or is that a Tyler Henry thing? You know, other mediums have definitely done it before. I can't say I originated it, but it's something I've definitely used as a way to just kind of connect. Um, it's really not about anything that gets written on, this, on the page itself. It's more the process of scribbling that just kind of gets me into an altered state of mind. Think of it like an active daydream. And scribbling just kind of allows me to doodle, equivalent to like what we do when we're on the phone, you know, and you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, uh -huh. you know, you doodle. Um, very similar in its mechanism of kind of creating that change. Um, and so it's been just kind of part of the work. And sometimes people keep the scribbles. We have some celebrities that have framed them. And then other times, you know, it's uh, like scrap paper to them. And then I get to keep it <laughs> and I frame it. Is there one reading either like on Life After Death or in your live show or even maybe now through the collective membership like that just kind of stands out or like a recent reading that stands out as just, Absolutely. yeah. You know, there was something so powerful in Life After Death about the Montecito mudslide reading that I did. For those who didn't see it, a really incredible woman I got to sit with lost her daughter in a tragic incident. And it was so beautiful to be able to go back to where it happened for the first time with you know her urging and to be able to kind of go to this place where she lost so much and to be able to go back with kind of an altered perspective, a sense of gratitude, a sense of um, still having that bond with her daughter who passed. And uh, it was just really beautiful to be able to walk through that and kind of have an Oprah moment, to be honest. You know, it's like we went back to the space where the most difficult time of her life was and kind of rewrote that narrative in some some kind of a way. Um, but equally, you know, recently at a live show, I had a situation come through where I had a fireman coming in and it was the weirdest thing. All I was really getting was this uh, clear symbol of what looked like a like lucky charm, like a four-leaf clover. And as I relayed this to the lady, she said that this man had been killed in a fire and the only object that was left that they could discernibly find was this keychain that he had of a four leaf clover. And on it, it said number one, dad. And it was the only object that they were able to pull from his remains. And so that symbolized to me the fact that he had an awareness of who he was, what he was valued for being number one dad, and that that symbol somehow still came through, you know, even in this reading. Wow. When you do get, you know, read the other side or someone comes through, like, what do you see? 
Like, I mean, do you see people as we see them in this human form or this alive form, I guess is the right word? It, it kind of unsettles people a little bit because it doesn't quite work that way. I don't see people walking around. Um, generally, I kind of say I see more of their messages than I really see them. So when I do a reading, I liken my body to kind of that of a canvas and whatever comes through kind of paints the picture. And, you know, the kind of colors it can use are my senses. So sometimes I'll get a taste, a smell. Sometimes I'll hear things internally, almost like a song being stuck in my head. Um, other times it'll come through as a knowingness. Uh, so there's all these different kind of facets of which information can come through. And the key is being able to kind of discern and intuit how information is coming in, what it means, and how to kind of put it together and then deliver it. So it's definitely a skill set, but I, I wouldn't consider it like a, a gift, as people often say. It's uh, something you definitely have to work at to, I think, keep keep sharp at. Wow. Do you fear death knowing what you know? Yeah, I still look both ways when I cross the street. You know, I still definitely uh, have an awareness of how fragile life is and how often things can go wrong. Um, you know, I've had so many situations where I've sat in front of people who've passed in, on life after death. A, a man had an umbrella pole, you know, just through a gust of wind go through his head and, and that ended his life. I mean, on in one moment, he's just sitting there by a pool and the next moment he's gone. So all that to say, it's given me a deeper appreciation for life in seeing how quickly it can be taken away. And uh, while I definitely don't fear what comes next, I definitely see the value of the difference that can be made in sticking around. Is any part of your work, and I'm just so curious about so many of these questions, like does any part of your work to work with people to get them to not be afraid of death? Or is that really, it really is bringing people and messages in the canvas and everything you just described through from the other side. It's not really the opposite. Well, you know, I think when we have validation that there's some continuation of the bond, the relationship, I think that does kind of contextualize things. It gives us an understanding that, well, if we believe this, if I'm hearing things, there's only, you know, there's no way this person could know through any other means, then it gives some sense of value to this idea that we do keep going. And that maybe this, you know, mortal coil is not all there is. And that can give people a sense of affirmation and kind of spiritual comfort in knowing there's more to the story. Um, but but largely, I think more than anything, you know, we do think of it as being a topic about death, but so often these readings end up focusing on life and how to live more freely and how to not allow the restraints of fear and of shame, um, you know, limit our experience while we're here. And that oftentimes is more even than themes that come through than death itself. That makes sense. And to your point, you know, when someone's there one minute and then there's an umbrella and they're not just really appreciating that we have no problems today, people. Yeah, it's all about, I think, perspective and, you know, other people's suffering and them suffering more doesn't invalidate our suffering, but it can certainly contextualize it. And for me, it has allowed me to have a sense of gratitude that I don't think I would otherwise have if I was just, you know, living in celebrity land in Hollywood, da, da, da. you know, it's it's very humbling without a doubt. That's a good point. Are our loved ones, like if someone doesn't come, you know, if someone's not getting a reading, obviously when you get a reading, you said sometimes they don't come through, but most of the time somebody comes through, like, are our loved ones like here now? I mean, does it take a reading at all times? I mean, we to get a message, of course it does, but like, is there presence around us at all times? 
You know, I think people oftentimes worry about that a little bit. To answer your question, yeah, I absolutely feel that we are never truly alone. And that can kind of skeeve people out sometimes. They think, oh, gosh, well, what if I'm taking the shower? What if I'm going to the bathroom? Is grandma watching? Um, and I, I will say this, that, you know, when people come through, I really believe that they've processed their humanity. Uh, you know, grandma took showers. Grandma had to make love in order to have you into creation. So um, these things that we worry about, whether they see or don't see it, I think are kind of trivial in the sense that it's all human and they definitely tend to seem to reflect conversations we have, uh, things we just did. All of these things often come through in readings. And that speaks to the fact that they clearly are aware of what we do and don't do and kind of the deeper meaning behind what we do to honor them. What about I saw online? I don't know if this was recent or older where you were reading. I forgot. I think it was like a celebrity where it was almost like a ghost. Like they were saying, it was two in particular where like they were walking down a hall at night and they felt someone there or they felt a presence and it was, but it was like a house that they, and it wasn't a hostel, but it was like someone was in their house. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have situations like that. There were a number of different ones uh, where, you know, people would feel presences, but I, I think it def definitely kind of speaks to the fact that when it comes to hauntings and things along those lines. I mean, people clearly, whether you believe in ghosts or not, almost everybody has a ghost story. <laughs> and that's kind of telling. You mentioned like the stuff you're doing now with like the collective membership with Fireside and at your live shows, you know, like I agree, sometimes it is editing and people need to see things, you know, to be believers more so in person, which again, by going to your live show, I mean, you're sitting there and you're saying things and they're so specific and people are like having that aha moment. But what do you say to the naysayers out there? You know, I think it comes with the territory. Mediumship is very controversial. It always has been. And then when you throw being well-known into that category, it definitely uh, goes into the mix. I, I think there's an important focus on skepticism in the sense that it is a very important value to have. Having doubt is how we answer questions. And I think it can be a beautiful way of having understanding. However, within reason, you know, I think nowadays we've seen the emergence of kind of hyper-skepticism and you've seen people who unfortunately are skeptical around climate change or skeptical around vaccines. And so skepticism does not necessarily equate to intelligence. Um, and I think it's important to recognize the difference between subjective experience and objective truth. And this world, this medium world exists very much in the subjective. It's like art. It's like love. Um, it's going to be meaning based. And so what one person sees meaning in someone else may not, but it doesn't invalidate it for the person who does see meaning. And so I really approach it more from that angle, less of an objective angle. Um, but I think there's something to be said about, you know, the value of, of personal takeaways, even if it you know doesn't necessarily fit everybody's view of what would be helpful. Right. And it's just certain it's just certain people just can't grasp it, which then that's their own. I mean, that's like anything that you can't really grasp. There's a lot that I can't grasp and a lot of spiritualities I can't grasp, but I still can recognize that they serve a demographic of people and, and there's value in it. On Life After Death, for which you've been nominated for an Emmy, we'll just say that again, people. And by the way, where are you going to keep this Emmy if you... When? You know, I, I'm super. I'm I'm not superstitious, just a little superstitious. So I I don't have a spot yet, but I'll keep you posted. You'll be the first person. You'll have to email you if it happens. You'll have to find like you know, just in case you get future Emmys, you might have. You have to plan around that. You got to start planning now, Tyler. Yes, I've got like a little statue here, but he's 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 kind of like a little placeholder. So we'll see. 
We'll start with that. Well, we, but we, we did see on life after death, you know, you got involved in some like PI work and like cold case solving. Like, is that like, do you do a lot of that in your day to day? I mean, I imagine with a 3000 person wait list, you don't have time. Well, I definitely prioritize urgent cases, uh, cases with people who may be terminally ill or nearing the end of their life. I do a lot of readings for people uh, in those states, as well as very often situations involving mysterious passings, not even necessarily always just missing people, but cases where there's some degree of anomaly or a missing, uh, you know, answer. Sometimes intuition can kind of help fill in certain blanks. Um, What I really liked about that on the Netflix show was being able to work with a private investigator because it allowed me to kind of apply what I do in a way that was a little bit more agnostic. It it allowed me to go through a third party versus having to work with a family, which I think can be counterproductive. Um, You know, when someone has lost a loved one or they don't know where they are, they are in an incredibly emotional, vulnerable state. And so for me, ethically, it was important to not do that work directly in the event that there was bad news you know, to be honest. So it, it definitely helped to have that private investigator. And we've, you know, continued our, our relationship. And uh, I hope to be able to do more work. How do you deal with delivering bad news? Like when, you know, someone comes to you, and it really isn't, you know, you talk about, we talked about closure in the beginning, where it's like, yeah, you get a, this person was murdered or taken, or it was a gruesome end. It's definitely an exceptionally difficult position to be put in, but I think delivery is everything and how one words something is very important. Um, I've seen the importance of bedside manner and delivering things in a gentle way. And sometimes, you know, someone doesn't need to know all the ins and outs of every detail that one may feel. Um, It's up to us to use discernment of what's appropriate. So I try to be mindful of that. Uh, You know, there is no school for mediums, unfortunately. (laughs) So uh, it's very much kind of a process of learning as as one goes. But uh, yeah, it's very, very sensitive territory. I remember my reading with Alan Thicke, even kind of in a different way, you know, sitting with him and touching on something so personal, like his heart health and having a loved one come through who died of the very same problem, come in and say, you know, you need to get this checked. Um, what was so difficult with that was him just kind of laughing and saying, oh, thanks, Dr. Tyler, and kind of shrugging it off only for him to pass away like three months later of this heart condition. So there's definitely moments where it's, it's difficult to relay information. When something like that happens, or I still credit you for this, but you might, I know you're humble and you don't take credit, but the whole, you know, Khloe Kardashian and you read and Tristan, and then we had Jordan Woods. I I credit that to you, but, and the Alan Thicke, but I mean, that does happen where you'll read a celebrity. You told Jenna Bush that she was going to have, you know, a third child and then next. So like, do you kind of follow that stuff and keep up on it? Or, I mean, I know you're not necessarily into the celebrity of it all. Yeah, you know, I definitely was less into the celebrity of it all in season one. You know, I came from a really small town in Central California. So at that time, when I genuinely wasn't recognizing people, I genuinely wasn't recognizing them just because I was not, you know, really an L.A. person. So now I'm old and my age of 27, I'm jaded. I know all the celebrities, but, uh, you know, I definitely try to stay in touch and and keep up with some of those predictions that are made. Maria Menounos was another one that I think we had like a five to six year down the line prediction about a baby. And she just recently, uh, through surrogate, was able to, to make that happen. So really, really awesome. Do you get like starstruck? You know, I mean, again, like Kardashian's probably the most famous family there is, you know, you live near Cher, you did. And I know that story about her wanting to play tennis or inviting you over. Like, do you get starstruck? I mean, you're only human. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, little old me, it's 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 nerve wracking for sure. I, I would say for me, it's more the people that have had personal impact in my life that I would have never thought I would have got to met, like RuPaul. I mean, that for me was like meeting Cher, um, just because that was somebody who, you know, even when it when you put all the glitz and the glamour aside, that was somebody who I looked up to at a time in my life when I was a, a kid in a small town who was going to be a hospice nurse and felt very alone. And so to be able to see somebody who made me feel less alone and then to be able to help him uh, after all of what he had done for me uh, was really why I do what I do in a, in a, in a big way. It was really healing. <laughs> How is your mom doing? I mean, I was so touched by her story in life after death and, you know, looking for her own real mother and discovering this later in life. How How's your mom doing? You know, my mom is okay. Uh, that was quite a, a journey in making the discovery that her parents were not her parents and, you know, going down this kind of family pursuit of answers. Uh, we kind of learned, I think, similar to that conversation around closure, that there was really no answer that would right all of those wrongs. There was no uh, document that would ever, you know, come to the surface, uh, you know, no person that would hold an insight that would kind of make it right. Um, and so acceptance, I think, was a wider lesson there to be had about knowing what we know and equally what we'll never know and being able to be okay with that. What about, you know, again, we have the new Fireside, the live tour, the Emmy nomination, the 300,000 person waitlist. Like, what does a typical day look like for you? Do you just wake up and work all day? I mean, you're in demand and busy. Oh, well, you know, I definitely allocate days, work days. So I'll take a day days off in little groups where I just sleep the bulk of the day. I rest. So I definitely, uh, you know, have my lazy moments. But when I do work, I like to knock out as many uh, live readings as I can virtually I like to do. Um, I find that once I kind of get a momentum going, it's easier to keep doing it, to kind of connect and reconnect and reconnect. Um, so when I work, I kind of pack it all in, in in about an eight hour period typically and try to do as much as I can so that when I'm off, I'm off and I'm just go hibernate like a little bear, a little cub little otter in, 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 in theory, so I'm working on it. <laughs> you like to sleep on your time off. So that's good. I, 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 I'm, I'm like fine with that. Yeah, no, I'm not hitting the clubs. West Hollywood has yet to call me. I, I will wait till my thirties though. There's still time. So you're not missing much. So, right. Well, I, I, we will see. <laughs> Stay in. What about when you're reading someone and like, you know, the goal I would imagine, you know, just having followed your career is really for the person you're reading. What about when it's the opposite of delivering bad news, but someone's coming through where, you know, they were like a bad person, you know, like you're sensing, however, they passed, like it was a murder because they were also a murderer. Or they were just a bad person. Sure. There's definitely been times where I've had to talk about at the very least people who did difficult things. Um, and it brought through people who have done difficult things. And one thing I can say is when anyone comes in, there seems to be an acknowledgement of self-reflection, self-assessment. And I attribute that to something I call life review process, where we kind of, in essence, get the understanding of the ripple effect of everything we did and didn't do in life. And this is a very enlightening process that they seem to go through. So while I have had times where people have done you know, difficult things, they tend to come through from a place of understanding. If someone was never able to take, uh, you know, a credit for anything or, you know, take accountability in life, they almost seem to have that forced empathy upon transitioning, that understanding of how they affected others. And that, you know, tends to come through with a, a I wouldn't even say remorse. It's more than remorse. It's more of an awareness in one's bones of how their actions affected other people. Right. Kind of like a growing up in a now they're in a different phase that's actually a great way to describe it think of like you know how children misbehave or do things that they don't intend you know i think back to things i did when i was a kid and i look back as an adult and i'm like oh god i really regret jumping off the roof 
what was I thinking? And I would imagine it's a little bit like that for them where they look back and they say, wow, you know, I, I can't believe I did all that, but it's their process of reflection. Wow. Do people, you did, we talk about our celebrity culture, do people come to you? And I understand this is not the point of your services and this is not, but do people come to you and say, Hey, you know, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. I want to hear from Michael Jackson. Like do people (laughs) request celebrities from you? It has happened and I have no way. I always say of like, you know, calling dialing direct. Uh, I always tell people whether it's grandma or Michael Jackson, I have no control over who comes through. Um, in reading LaToya, that obviously increased the chances. But even in her case, there was no guarantee that that would happen. So, um, yeah, that's kind of tricky. <laughs> I'm just like, like, that's not the point of this. And especially if you didn't know the celebrity, like this isn't like a fan meetup. Yes. But I mean, what it does increase the chances if there's a connection, like if we let read Abraham Lincoln's great, 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 great granddaughter actually probably would liken the chances it would increase them than if I were to read somebody randomly off the street. But like even with seeing uh, Larry Burkhead, I remember I sat with him and brought through Anna Nicole Smith. And you know that very easily could have not happened, but it, it was enough of a connection to be made for her to come through. Wow. What do you think is like the biggest misconception of what you do? I think the biggest misconception of what I do is even really kind of what I'm claiming to do. I I don't claim to see dead people walking around. I get very subjectively meaningful inner feelings and I share those feelings with other people who often find them subjectively meaningful themselves. So it's something that I think people want to quantify in a scientific way. And I myself, you know, showed an interest in doing that as I went to the Peak Brain Institute in season four of Hollywood Medium and had my brain scanned by Dr. Drew and Dr. Hill. Um, I showed a willingness, you know, to kind of quantify objectively the weirdness that was going on. But as time goes on, I'm kind of really feeling that it's more akin to like an art and you either see the meaning in the words or you don't. And it's like, just because not everybody's on team, you know, for like a, not everybody loves, you know, the same type of painting. Uh, it's going to be kind of a subjective thing and that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. Yeah. Well, you're nominated for an Emmy for Life After Death. So what is, you know, season two? Hello, <laughs> hello, season two. I'm going to shake my magic eight ball uh, and then throw it into the Netflix executive offices and we'll see. Uh, but no, I feel so thankful. I felt like life after death really was a snapshot of a period in time. We were coming out of the pandemic. I was going through this journey of discovering my own family identity. And then we had some amazing readings. So if nothing else, I'm really proud of, of what it was. <laughs> Do people in your personal life, like, you know, either your mother, your boyfriend, anyone, like, do they, the the extended family, do they say, come on, I'm just in the mood for a reading today. Like, do people, friends, like, are you bombarded with this? Absolutely. Well, my mom all the time will show me a picture on her phone and say, Tyler, what do you get? I have a friend and they just need to know something. And then I'll like try and half the time it'll be accurate, but then half the time it won't. And uh, I definitely have instances like with my mom where uh, she seems to kind of uh, always try to keep me sharp and, and testing, you know, my ability. But my partner, one of the, my favorite things about him is, you know, at the end of the day, the last thing we talk about is how work went. Uh, you know, he really just loves me for the human being and uh, the medium stuff is kind of the least interesting to him. So I, I need that in my life. <laughs> Trust me, I get it. In my personal life, people want to talk about reality TV with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm like, this is literally, we are not talking about this. Cut it off. You can relate. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm like, I will talk about anything except who is my favorite housewife. Like next topic, please. Exactly. Yes. Let's get into porn politics of the 1930s. Absolutely. 
<laughs> well, what about like celebrities? I mean, if you are, I know you'd like to stay in, but like if you are at like a red carpet event, I mean, do celebrities say like, hey, are you getting anything? I mean, I could do. <laughs> There's Her- times. Absolutely. Oh, I, I mean, I even remember uh, going to an event. Aaron Carter was there, which uh, really is so devastating what what happened to him but uh, I mean he was somebody who I actually kind of made friends with on the red carpet and then we stayed in touch thereafter and uh, you know he was really special person so yeah you always get interesting interactions and there was one time I went on a red carpet and a lady recognized me and she took off running like she just hauled ass she was just because she was scared I guess she didn't want to hear if I had anything to say but I mean that was that was definitely a way to clear a room seriously did you get any, you know, vibes from Aaron Carter? I mean, no, you know, he is somebody who clearly struggled for a very long time. And and for me, I, I really was taken aback by uh, how childlike he was in a lot of areas, in a lot of respects. And, and I think was one of his best qualities. Absolutely. Do you find it harder to read? Like if someone hires you for a reading and you know them like you know a friend of a friend or just you know like is that hard you know like they say doctors you know like you always hear of like surgeons don't want to operate on their wife or you know is it like that for you too or absolutely any anytime where bias is a part of it or information um, can kind of logically affect what's more supposed to come through intuitively that can create some issues so if I have you know my own personal investments my own hopes and fears for the person um, that can kind of construe what's coming through it helps if you know I have kind of a a disconnect on some level where I'm just relaying it as I'm getting it kind of like an ASL interpreter <laughs> um, in, in the sense of just relaying it as it's as it's coming through um, it can definitely be a challenge with people you know is there any part of like the business like you've had tv shows books now you're with fireside the live t- like is there any part of the business you know not like either your gift I know you didn't call it a gift you said I forgot how you referred to it like oh, yeah. ability yeah <laughs> a- Ability, like, or, you know, just, is there anything else you kind of want to, that you haven't done with it that you kind of want to do? You know, uh, it could be the first medium in space. That's an idea. Do a reading, uh, you know, out there somewhere on Mars. That'd be interesting. There's, you know, I don't, my thirties are coming. All the celebrities are open up tequila brands. Uh, some, there's something about spirits and tequila. I feel like it's a natural synergy. Um, I've got to put all my secrets out there. No, I, I genuinely just hope to be able to continue doing readings. And I've been loving touring and being able to do readings on Fireside. So if we can just keep that going, I'll be a happy, happy medium. <laughs> I love it. And as we wrap up, do you ever, I mean, I know you started young and I mean, I've, you know, I'm familiar with your story of how you fell into this, like, you know, with your grandmother and like, if you ever have a moment of like what you would be doing if you weren't doing this. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I know you were almost a hospice nurse and. Yeah. I think I probably in all likelihood would have gone that direction. Um, you know, it was really only after an interaction with my Dean of the college where he told me to leave school because he'd received a reading himself. <laughs> where I then left. So, you know, it was a very strange circumstances. I also considered getting into diplomacy. Uh, I always found the UN to be very admirable. And I, I think in a larger way, doing readings is a test of diplomacy and being able to be articulate, understand people's intentions, um, be able to meet people where they're at, even if you're not where they're at. <laughs> and so all those those kind of skills, I think, helps prepare me for being a medium. When you were in school, to be a nurse, you read the Dean and he was like, please leave. Like this was so, so accurate. Like you need I, to get out of here. I had ran into him and I had actually read him before. Didn't really, we had never talked about his, what he did as a job. We talked about his relationship with his son and the shaman of his who had passed. 
Um, and then I ran into him on campus one day and I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm the Dean, I'm retiring. And I was like, oh, well, funny seeing you here. And then he asked what I was doing there. And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a hospice nurse. And, and one thing led to another. Wow. Anything else you want to bring up? Congrats on the Emmy nomination. Congrats on joining Fireside. I think it's a great way for people to be able to kind of relate to you and maybe get a reading and kind of keep up with you as well. You know, and just everyone wants a reading, Tyler. Oh, I so appreciate it. It's a great opportunity through Fireside to be able to receive readings, watch them, be a part of the process. You know, grief is such an isolating emotion, and I'm really proud to have been able to create something that really focuses on community, on being able to share not only our loss, but our love, as that's really kind of what brings us all together. So thank you so much for your time today, David. It's been really great talking to you. It's been great talking to you. I think it's great. It is almost like a Tyler Henry support group for grief because we all go through grief. Absolutely. And, and you know, to, the goal ultimately is to give people resources to be able to deal with things better themselves and, and not need that third party, you know, to not necessarily need a reading, but it certainly can help. <laughs> I totally agree. So thank you so much. This has been great. I really appreciate all the work you do. And I'm going to be watching you on Fireside as well. Thank you, David. I'll hook you up with tickets anytime. Feel free to reach out if I'm ever in your area. I would love to see you. I will. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.